Hey there. Just before this episode's discussion about aliens, something I thought you might want to know. Literally a couple of hours after we recorded it, some news came through via a video I caught from Alien Theory, the YouTube channel, about a brand new documentary about the film Aliens, which is looking for contributions from Aliens fans. So I thought it would be important to include that in this episode. If you want more information, please go and look at the Alien Theory video. Uh, there will be a link in the show notes. This is a fairly standard, spoilerific discussion of the film Aliens, but be warned, towards the end, things are going to take a turn for the strange, as myself and Ian are interrupted by a child. Be prepared. Hello dear listener and welcome to the podcast where we talk about horror, sometimes we talk about other things and sometimes we swear. This week I have the distinct pleasure of being joined by the wonderful Ian Winterton. Say hello Ian. Hello Ian. I did it. I'm glad I didn't, I didn't, I, joke. I didn't let your, your joke down by missing the cue this week. Um, no. And I am T.D. Velasquez, but dear listener, as always, you can call me Dan. Now, last week on the podcast, I say last week, when it, you could be listening to this in three years, uh, last episode, we talked about the the generic qualities of three movies uh, different in, in different subgenres with some relation to horror. We talked about the Poseidon Adventure, we talked about Jaws, and we talked about Aliens, um, and it was discussing aliens that but following this discussion I just had further thoughts and I knowing Ian as I do I thought we could probably both say a lot more about that movie in particular uh, would you say that's fair Ian? I would say so yeah it's uh, action obviously sci-fi <laughs> well we'll find out um, before we get into the main discussion how are you Ian? I'm good I'm good thanks I've recorded another podcast today for cutaway comics um which will be out in a few months once does, recorded a lot of does that podcast who, does it have doctor a who. does it have a title that podcast it's not just called doctor who i assume no no it's um it's sponsored by cutaway comics uh that i write for and edit for and we're um so obviously most of that is doctor who related um so this is uh, the idea of this is it's a sort of desert island discs but we didn't want to call we were going to call it desert island who and then we thought we're just going to get asked to take that down by the bbc um so we have gone for the bunker or the cutaway bunker but the idea is uh, i was i was because i was watching threads um as 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 is my want <laughs> to cheer myself up um, as, as, a, as a distraction from the Tory leadership race. Oh no! Um, let's not talk about that. 
um, no. online. Go, horror, horror adjacent. Yes, um, yes. But yeah, yeah. And there's that there's that brilliantly bleak scene in Threads where they're watching the VHS of words and pictures. Um, uh, if you remember that. Um, and so I just thought, yeah, so it's going to be, I guess you're going to be in a post-apocalyptic bunker, trapped oh. alone while, I, the, while the radiation. I actually don't. I've only got five news stories. I, I'd forgotten the scene with words and pictures. Is it when the the the, the govern, government of Sheffield have retreated to their underground bunker and, and they're watching tapes? Well, it's, it's, it's in the sort of, it's in the latter part of the, of the film when it's very post-apocalyptic it's like 10 years later when Ruth's daughter is an adult or a oh, young right. woman, um just before she gets raped in the barn because it's such a cheerful so 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 i remember that because i'm older than you because i remember watching words and pictures as a child so the fact that it was, they were watching it on a crackly vhs really got me when i watched it as a kid and still does i'm surprised that that late in the movie which is about a nuclear apocalypse for any listeners who aren't familiar with the brilliant movie threads i'm surprised that 10 years after the blast they still had any electricity with which to power a video cassette i remember scenes where there are people watching a tv but it's just a television set that they've lit a fire inside and the light is kind of flickering out of the screen but i don't remember yeah that's yeah that's in the yeah, I might be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure it's late on, and everyone's everyone's sort of in the survivors phase mm-hmm. of it, which isn't which doesn't spend a lot of time in that area. It's like 13 years after the after the bomb. Yeah, and then Ruth just drops dead. Spoilers. Anyway, why are we talking about threads? Yeah, well, um, you, yeah, well, you were just um, noting your yeah. podcast. So the yeah, idea yeah. is that people will, a bit like Desert Island Discs, but people will choose the, the favourite but, Doctor Who stories that they take on a yeah, Desert yeah. Island or to a bunker with yeah. them. Yeah, but in this case, they're in a they're locked in a bunker with only a TV and a DVD player. Right. Uh, although we're not limiting it to uh, to TV Doctor Who. It's any iteration of Doctor Who. Um, and the guy, the guy I was interviewing today is actually a, is actually a, a blind Doctor Who fan uh, and activist. So it was amazing seeing, I was about to say seeing, but amazing uh, hearing the, uh, hearing about how Doctor Who is very much about the Eighth Doctor for him. Um, oh, okay. Um, and and as well as audio books and you know. And the amount of things he hasn't listened to because there isn't decent audio description on BritBox and all these sort of things. Right. So, uh, but yeah, so, but that'll be, we'll be releasing that in a couple of months, I think. That's fantastic. Once, I think... we've, once, we've, once we've got enough of them recorded and up and running. Hmm. That's great. Well, when that, that comes around, I shall make sure that we have links in our what episodes we're posting then so that people can find the podcast. That's, mm-hmm. that's very exciting and I look forward to hearing that myself um so is there anything else you'd like to mention before we start talking about mm. aliens uh no i think i'm uh i'm okay um i've been i've been finally getting into paramount um plus oh um, yes you've got that haven't you i've not got paramount watching, watching the new watching the new star trek which is quite brilliant so um, i hear which is not really very horror adjacent that's very sci-fi um and I'm also getting into more sci-fi. I'm 
watching for all mankind um, oh, yeah. on apple which is which is back to being as brilliant as season one for my money um yes i remember it was one of your recommendations last year yeah yeah no i do like it i do like a bit of a I do like a bit of uh sort of alternative history the what ifs and it's yeah. definitely in a better universe right <laughs> the one that we inhabit oh, although excuse me the soviet union is still going so you know it swings and roundabouts but uh, uh so we uh, could we could talk for far too long uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> about about the ins and outs of the uh, of for all mankind well indeed so, uh, well, and well, you, are you are you watch are you finding time to watch anything at the moment um I, i'm well uh at the moment i'm <laughs> for the first time watching the west wing because oh, wow. um, i find it comforting and um see it's so much more of a fantasy as each year goes by it, well yeah it's comforting to watch a story of a of a functional competent government but also i couldn't even though i have friends who are huge fans of it and i've never seen it uh, I couldn't really watch it while Donald Trump was in office. It, it would just be too painful. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I don't get the impression that the government in America is that great right now, but at least they're not Trump. Um, yeah, yeah. And it seems <laughs> a little bit more um, compatible with, with the kind of worldview in, in the West Wing. And it is, it's not dated too badly, you know. I, the political... Um, mechanisms and problems have probably not changed much in 20 years so you know there was an ep i watched an episode the other day where there was a a school shooting um mm. and an, an ensuing gun control debate which has been very much in the news in just the last yeah. few weeks so these so much doesn't change so well um, i mean i think that's half of america's problem is it's being it's ossified and it's fused into these two sides and nothing's changed since <laughs> hardly anything's changed since the late 60s yeah it does seem like that a little bit um so so yeah um that that's what i'm watching and i based on our last episode i did re-watch jaws which is Ooh. still wonderful i watched it with my mum yeah. the other night um uh, amazing it's the first time i've watched it not on vhs i watched it stri oh, wow. streamed in high def so it's amazing how a lot of the dialogue i could suddenly understand what people were saying um and in a number of cases they were saying something completely different to what i thought they'd said when i'd seen it before <laughs> um but what yeah. a what a wonderful movie um <laughs> There's a few movies that I will w watch and immediately just want to watch them again. And they are all directed by Steven Spielberg. So, you know, that guy's got something. Jaws, Duel, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Jurassic Park are all movies that I will watch and immediately want to rewind. Um, yes. I mean, well, to, to sort of segue into our topic, I'd say James Cameron was mostly in a similar camp like if if one of his movies like spielberg if one of his movies is on tv wherever it's at i'll watch it to the end mm. um and i'm like that you know it, with titanic or whether it's titanic or terminator or just about any movies ever made with the possible exception of avatar um 
I will sit down. I will find myself drawn in because his storytelling is so crisp and amazing. Um, yeah. And he just, you know, they're put there. He made him and Spielberg make perfect Hollywood movies. Oh, they're not the only way to make a film, but they do make perfect films. <laughs> they they do, although Spielberg makes a lot of other movies in between, whereas Cameron just doesn't. He just sits there for seven years thinking about mm. the next one. Um, so <laughs> yeah. their hit rate is similar, even though Spielberg's made about four times as many films, I think. Um, yeah. That is a really good segue, Ian. Let's take it. Okay, yeah. so we're going back to, <laughs> to 1986. Um, mm -hmm. And the unexpectedly, well, long, long awaited, but unexpectedly powerful release of a, a sequel to Ridley Scott's classic Alien um, that was made by almost none of the people who were involved with Alien and yet mm -hmm. became a smash hit and a classic movie. You and I and Kirsty have talked about Alien 3 on this podcast in the past. I'm sure we'll talk mm -hmm. about the other Alien films, but at this point today we're going to talk about the second film in the series, Aliens. And for listeners who heard the previous episode, uh, we normally do include the audio from a trailer of the film that we're going to discuss. So last week we, 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 we already did that for Aliens. We used the main theatrical trailer, but um, this week we're going to use a different trailer, which is the kind of few weeks into the theatrical run pumped up we're brilliant everybody says we're brilliant go and see this film if you haven't already trailer which is my favorite trailer for the movie so and um, that's what i thought we'd include let's have a listen to this and i haven't watched this before so indeed so ian have at it Audiences and critics agree. Aliens is the wild roller coaster ride moviegoers have been waiting for all summer. That's right outside the door. The best action film of the year. Unbelievably exciting. Sheer exhilaration. Fasten your seatbelts for the ultimate summer action film. Aliens will blow you through the back wall of the theater. Sigourney Weaver. Aliens. Now playing everywhere. So that was a big good of you to share that link. Basically, said Ian's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think some of the quotes are really great. I remember I played that to Ross, and he said, "Oh, that's confident." Um, and well, yeah, you know, yeah, it's full of pomp, and that's what I love about it. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's um, it's it's weird as well because I've not. Because we just kind of accepted Aliens, I always wonder what people who were like fans of Alien, uh, and then they heard there was a sequel coming, and then they got this shit. <laughs> yeah, and there are such people, definitely. <laughs> who are who are like, what a what a travesty! Like, how how dare they make it? Basically, it sounds like, and I, if you didn't know what you were watching, it's like, well, is it? You know, and you and you couldn't see if you couldn't see the picture, you'd think, Oh, is this kind of a bit like Die Hard? Yeah. You know, are we watching this this, this year's Die Hard? Yeah. Well the it's, the trailer uh, doesn't make any attempt at all to to suggest it's um A that it's a sequel to Alien and B that it's in any way frightening yeah. or a horror film. The other trailer 
just because... I will scratch that, because Die Hard came out after this, obviously. Um, Yes, but, you know, they might have thought Commando or... And to be honest, you know, uh, James Horner, who did the music for Aliens, most of his previous track record had been in those action movies. He did the music for 48 Hours and Commando and things like that. You know? um, Yeah. uh, Yeah, I mean, it's a bit like, when 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 did the action, the summer action movie become a... You know, become a thing. I think it would have been early eighties. Um, yeah, I mean, Top Gun, I guess, was Top Gun was eighties. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm just going through them now, and they're um, it's almost like before uh, Commando was the year before. Yeah, and then it was like Bond movies and things. Yeah. So. Um, and Aliens uh, uh, was made by a lot of the Bond crew. Um, I've been revisiting the Bond films every week as they've been re-released in cinemas this year for the 60th anniversary. And, um, you know, that that door sound effect from Aliens that all the doors in the colony make, that was being used in the Bond films in, like, 1965. So it's all the same sound editors, the same ADs, the same production designer. Um, Which separates it from the from uh, alien as well which was more a kind of almost even though ridley scott was a fairly new director it was a kind of 2001 a space odyssey kind of prestige sci-fi you know we could shoot this movie in a few weeks with very little money roger corman style but actually we're gonna lavish time and energy and creativity on it but aliens was more like bish bash bosh Let's get it thrown together by people who know exactly what they're doing, what they were doing, and apparently it was a really fraught shoot because mm-hmm. even though the crew knew exactly what they were doing, they didn't know exactly enough for Cameron, who was like, "Who are these English guys uh, who want their tea breaks?" The the making of documentary is fascinating because of the all the political strife among the cast and crew. Um, but you know, uh, the people who put it together were, were experts in their field, and um, I mean, I, I I could talk about the movie from many many angles. Obviously, from the production uh, yeah. there clearly. But I th- I think as a starting point for this discussion, I'd like to go back to what we were talking about in our last episode, which was the mm-hmm. kind of generic placing of the movie, and we we kind of agreed that it's more of an action film than a horror film. But mm-hmm. you said something really interesting. You said that, um, yeah, I think Alien is a horror film. I find it frightening. But I just don't find Aliens frightening for some reason. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because it do- doesn't set itself up as uh, an action. It doesn't set itself up as a horror movie. It kind of places itself as, a, as an action film. And mm. this made me think of the, um, my time in therapy. Uh, basically some listeners may recognize this so if you've been in therapy for anxiety something that you are kind of encouraged to do is when you feel anxious tell yourself it's not anxiety it's excitement you're thrilled to be doing something because the feeling of excitement and the feeling of fear basically are physiologically the same and it's about the attitude that you come to them with that makes the difference so I, mm. um, so in a way 
there is a difference in attitude in aliens but i think that of all the films i've seen and you know please tell me if anybody knows something that they can say is more exciting but i think aliens is the most exciting film i've ever seen i think it's more exciting than die hard um mm. and i think the reason and i love die hard and i think the reason why it's more exciting is because it's frightening as well that's like the energy of it but you it's an enjoyable kind of fear or at least for me that you that, you know you don't come out of it being disturbed having said that you know it has disturbed people i remember reading roger ebert's review of it where he said basically this film is absolutely brilliant but i cannot recommend it it is too traumatic i didn't enjoy it i i felt assaulted by it um yeah, you know, and it's strange. You'd think he'd, from that description, you'd think he'd watched like I don't know an Eli Roth film or something, mm. or uh, you know something, something, something where you are like, oh Christ, you, you know, the violence is gratuitous. I mean, this is, but I, I'd yeah. say my reaction to it is pretty much the same in that it's so thrilling to watch. Absolutely, just never get bored of it. It's a war mm. film, yeah, where 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 you don't have the you don't have the horrible you know you don't have the sort of horrible post-colonial guilt of oh we shouldn't really be watching this because they're mm. people you know you can't you know we, we can watch marines shooting aliens with the same way as people 40 years ago could watch cowboys shooting indians um sure. we can't because we're not utter bastards anymore but um yeah. You know, so you have that, you have that, you have that, you know, or, or you know, you can't watch Zulu in the same way as as maybe a lot of people, when it was made, watched it. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I'm thinking this even is... Though, even, though, even though part of me really likes Zulu, I still find it troubling, but I don't no. find them shooting made-up things. And it no. still has a sort of anti-capitalist message in in this big massive multi-million pound capitalist machine yeah <laughs> i mean made no before we move on from zulu i just want to pick you up on that because it is something i'm thinking of quite a lot i i, I kind of want to write about zulu because i think it's such a, mm. a a well-made film and i think mm. politically it's actually it's very modern the only thing that but when I watched it most recently, I saw it on, uh, on a screening in Manchester. And I thought, mm. you know, they framed the Zulus as these obedient soldiers that kind of behave like ants. Um, mm. You know, the general says, run the guns, and I'll count the guns by, by basically by virtue of how many of you die. And the, and the soldiers just do that. If they didn't really in real life act like that, then the culture is being misrepresented and it's racist. But if they did mm. really do that, then it's just a historical film. I don't think that that movie has a kind of cowboys and Indians attitude where you're meant to cheer the uh, the fact that the the white men are killing the black men. Um, I think that it's a, like a survival movie, and ultimately, yeah, well, I, well, I, I don't think most cowboy films even are that straight. I mean, are that straightforwardly. No, that's true. It's, it's more, it's more, it's more like the sort of video game element of it. It doesn't matter yeah. who the enemy are because yeah. they just wipe them out. So it is just a survival, yeah, um, thing, you know. 
which is which is very basic the baddies are coming and we're all stuck in a room yeah that's a very basic sort of thrilling you know circle the wagons type yeah yeah type type thing classic you know, pot boiler stuff being, yeah. being under being under siege is a sort of you know is a very simple <laughs> is a you know people used to tell tales of it was all you know whether it's the alamo or even further back i don't know like yeah valletta in malta with the templars or whatever whatever the all these a few men holding out against a nameless faceless horde yeah yeah um you know it was always made for a great story yeah and the name and the nameless faceless horde are always depending who you are are always the other yeah you know whether you're the persians and your spartans or whether they're indians and your seventh cavalry or whatever and to your point and bringing it back to aliens you know yeah they've got Mm. the perfect universal other because they have this horrendous non-humanoid horde of of insectoid (laughs) creatures and you know cameron did say at one point that one of his um his aims with aliens even if it was subconscious was to make the best monster movie ever made and i think Mm. that he has got the best horde of creatures that mm. you know could ever you could ever want for really and it's hard to imagine another movie trying to do that and coming up yeah. with a better film well the, the, well the xenomorph is such a great invention you know it's, it's up there with the triffids or something for being a completely made up alien well not alien in the case of the triffid made up monster that has its own rules and they come they stem from logic and you know you know you know what a dalek is you know what a triffid is mm. you know what a xenomorph is and they're just such a good with their life cycle and their acid for blood and their you know and you kind of you know i don't think that, i think one of the best things about aliens as well is it never cheats how tough they are like they don't suddenly become easier to kill because there's lots of them Mm. It's it's they it's it's because the Marines have got really good guns. As soon as yep. they don't, they ripped apart as quickly as the people in. That's the alien true. Movie That's did. a very good point because a lot of people do criticise aliens for making the aliens too disposable. But yeah, mm. the, the 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 people in Alien only had like makeshift flamethrowers. These guys are mm. professional soldiers, and also it's seventy years later. In in, yeah. in in chronology, so they've got improved technology. One presumes, yeah. Um, but yeah, and the point is really well made that once the the guns have run out of bullets or whatever, then the mm. the, the humans are completely vulnerable. You could not survive being in a room with one of these things. You know, no, no. If you didn't have weapons, um, and yeah, that that is just fantastically done, and. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of that's one of the reasons why I love the backstory of aliens that this colony has been overwhelmed by these things because they mm. weren't soldiers and they did have to def- try to defend themselves with what came to hand, you know. And mm. th- there there are lines of dialogue where the, the marines find um, the remains of earlier battles and it's like they tried to build barricades here. They blew. They used seismic survey charges to to attack the aliens, you know, uh, yeah. which are not weapons, and they're obviously completely overwhelmed. And the, mm. in just a few kind of lines of dialogue, really, and implications, it's such mm. a nightmarish 
uh, images painted of what happened to the colony. Yeah, um, which before. is as a, as a sidebar, the you, you've listened to Dirt Mags's um, audios, haven't you? Yes, I love them. Which which the the Tim Leban especially, which is exactly that, isn't it? It's the colony getting overwhelmed. That's not the Tim Leban one. That's alien. oh, is it not? That's River of Pain, which is written by Christopher Golden, and it is very oh, right. good. But it did slightly disappoint me because it does uh, retcon slightly that there were Marines on the colony. So, yeah, yeah. And, and the story is kind of more concerned with the Marines, and all that stuff is great because it kind of recreates moments from Aliens and the atmosphere of Aliens, kind of perfectly. I forgave it. I mean, they obviously just didn't go in the room with those Marines, um, but it just it means yeah. people stay alive a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, um, and, and it would have been a very, uh, like like you said, like an Eli Roth, kind of a very bleak mm. lack of survival movie because nobody makes it out of there. That's the whole point. Um, yeah. Whereas yeah. With, but with the addition of the Marine unit, they were able to do some unexpected and surprising things. And it, mm -hmm. it sounds like the same place. The young actress in it who plays Newt sounds mm. exactly like Newt from the movie, even though it's obviously yeah. not the same actress. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's it's just beautifully done. Um, I think you and I are on the same page of, of saying that, you know, the, the Dirk Mag's audio dramas, which are all available on Audible, if you remember, mm -hmm. um, they are the best alien content, apart from the first two movies. Um, yeah, yeah. May maybe some of the comic books. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and he's certainly, uh, uh, certainly not uh, Prometheus and Covenant into a. They certainly do. We can get. Hat. We can get into that. I hope. Uh, thankfully, we don't have to talk about androids playing flutes or any of that shit today. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do not, but the time may come. The time may come. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. But I've sticking with. Well, you never know, I might rewatch both those films and go, oh, I was wrong. I completely missed. But yeah. I must not. I'm going to start going on a rant if I start thinking about No, again, people, yeah. I, I'm not a, a fan of them, but people do love those movies very much. So I've tried very hard well, to look it's at where them. It's, clear I, had, I, had a, right. I had one of my students, and I was encouraging all my students to like watch lots of movies and, you know, um, and and she said, I've never watched Alien or Aliens. And she uh, and she went away and watched them all. And she said, what's your favourite one of them then? And I went, oh, well, probably Alien or Aliens. And then the rest of them were a bit rubbish. She went, what? And her favourite of all of them after watching them all was Covenant. Right. Because <laughs> she had no preconceptions. She had no, she had no like this is right, this is wrong. Yeah, yeah. Like, these are classics. She really hadn't really heard of them. And then mm -hmm. she watched them all in a few days and Covenant was obviously the best because it was really well made and had lots of cool stuff going on in it and she didn't feel cheated out of the fact yeah. that it's not aliens <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, any of those sort of things. I know people who love it and I had a close friend who came up to me shortly after Covenant came out when I hadn't seen it but I read the book which mm -hmm. was a, a conscious choice um and he's <laughs> he, he, knowing that I'm a huge fan of aliens he said Dan I think you should watch Alien Covenant I think you'd really like it and I thought you don't know me at all do you it's been 15 odd years but um 
but nevertheless, I do strive to look at these movies even-handedly because uh, there's something coming up. I'm working on a project that listeners to this podcast will hopefully be able to hear and see later in the year because this year is, of course, the 10th anniversary of Prometheus. So, good, good heavens. God, is it? it is. So, yeah, ten, 10 years last month it came out. So. Well, thankfully, we haven't had a third. Uh, I'm sure we would have had, had it not been for the, the the dissolution of 20th Century Fox and the merger with Disney. I'm sure that, <laughs> that just the political tectonic plate shifting is what prevented Ridley Scott from being able to mobilise his forces on that. Uh, but, thankfully. Uh, um, Thanks. But I, I will never, uh, I'll never completely write it off. Not before Ridley has passed away. Um yeah. And I don't, I don't want to say anything really horrible. So uh, let's get back to aliens. So um, yeah, I just want to mention as well. I did, you know, I talked before about kind of revisiting all the Bond films. It's probably I suddenly realised when thinking about this. It probably makes a lot of sense that uh, the Aliens is one of my very favourite films because I love the Bond films. I grew up watching them all the time. Um, so it's like a grounding in action and like I said there's like continuity with, with Aliens as a production as well but also one of my sisters um, is a serious feminist and she was always saying to me when she'd find me watching Bond films what are you watching this sexist crap for? Yeah. Just stop it. So suddenly it makes complete sense that my favourite movie is an action movie with a female lead You know, mm. I, I just kind of slightly look to the left um it, it unfortunately is no comfort to my sister because she doesn't like violent movies and she doesn't like um, science fiction but no. you know but nobody dislikes sigourney weaver so no i mean it's 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 i think sigourney weaver is obviously she's amazing but i think she also does cameron a favor in that a lot of the criticism of the more purist people is we had people who were just surnames and their gender didn't matter in alien. Mm. That's one of the groundbreaking things about Ridley Scott's original Yeah, yeah. was, was he cast when they lost their lead, they, he cast a woman. He didn't matter. They're just surnames. Mm. And then obviously the, one of the main things Cameron did was go, well, she's a woman. She's, she's got a kid and made it about made the underlying theme motherhood. Yeah. 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 Which, which, you could go oh god is that all is that all is that the best you could do because you had a female lead make it about motherhood it works so well and so perfectly that's literally a niggle yeah well, a niggle and I, and I can understand why you, you could say oh could you not have come up with anything else but at the same time yes it works and it's fine and it's brilliant and and it works amazingly well because you know, because you're gonna aim, you're gonna up the stakes and find out where you know where aliens come from and who lays the eggs. Yeah, yeah. And all the so all these things. So it, I can totally see why it'd go. It's fine. She's she's going to be a kick-ass person who happens to have had a child. Yeah, and it, the, the it's, time, it was seen as a bit reductive. Yeah, and I can understand that reading, um, but a I'd say it's emblematic of the film that it do, it doesn't just do that. It goes all the way with it. Yeah, we're mm -hmm. not just going to make her a mother. We're going to make the film about motherhood. We're going to make the main mm -hmm. 
villain, the alien queen. It's about her eggs and things like that. Mm. Um, in the same way that, you know, some of it is a bit mechanical. I remember watching it with some friends once. I've seen this film loads of times, obviously, over my life. Um, yeah. And you know the bit where... Um, I don't think I've seen another film more than this. Well, <laughs> maybe yeah. But, life, maybe Life of Brian. That might ring <laughs> true for me, too. That's a good choice, too. But... Um, you know, like the, I remember I was watching it with friends, and you know the scene where she tries out the power loader in the mm-hmm. um, in the Sulaco. Um, she wants to help out with the unloading, so mm-hmm. um, she says, "Is there anything I can do?" And Apone says, "I don't know. Is there anything you can do?" Uh, and one mm-hmm. of my friends called out, "I can foreshadow the plot," and it's like she goes, "I can drive that loader," which of course sets up the whole ending of the film. And it is yeah. it is kind of clunky foreshadowing, but I love the fact that that scene doesn't just do that. It also it's establishing Ripley's in, in a slightly clunky way, Ripley's toughness, the fact that she stands up to these guys and impresses them. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's doing both of those things at once, and and yeah, both of them are only a bit clunky. You know, it it's not it's not really bad, and in most aspects it's doing several things at the same time yeah i think it's only yeah yeah i mean i I think it's i mean cameron i can see why he was hired to Mm. write this because Mm. you know because of terminator yeah uh you know he wrote terminator so quickly and it was so successful and that he can really write a script i I teach because i teach screenwriting and I use Cameron's whenever we get to the how do you write action, because that's always that's often a bit that really trips people up. Right. See, even now in the 21st century, even though pe- the kids I'm teaching don't go to the theatre, they still think of plays. They still think a script is dialogue. Right. Um, and so you have people talking far too much in most people's scripts when they're getting going. So it's just brilliant to show a Cameron script, which is here's what's happening. Do you need dialogue? No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, and and you know people saying thing idiotic things like, "Well, is is Arnold Schwarzenegger an actor?" Because he hasn't got very much dialogue, as though yeah. that's the only thing that makes you an actor. Yeah, they say that yeah. About, um, they said that about Pierce Brosnan as well, didn't they? Like he had twenty lines or something. Um, well, yeah, you know, well, as, as though the only as though the only thing an actor is is the person who says the lines, what the writer does right. And as, as someone who, who has acted, you know, um, in various mm. medium, you can act on stage and you can act on audio, but mm. you don't realise until you're in front of the camera how important movement is. I remember when I was mm. in a film and I'd just listened to a documentary, <laughs> again, about Bond on the radio, and they dug up a quote from one of the producers who said that one of the reasons they cast Sean Connery was because he moved so well. Mm. Um, Harry Saltzman says Sean Connery and Albert Finney both moved better than any other actor on screen because they moved like cats. Yeah, um, and I looked, yeah. I looked at myself in in this movie and thought, God, I don't move like a cat. <laughs> I was like mincing well, no, no, across no. the screen. Cats are varied. Yeah. <laughs> kind of cat. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. That's so understanding. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, but but Cameron scripts are just a joy to read. They are just, you know, they are how to write action. Mm. And yes, you could say, uh, as an example of the Hollywood movie, 
that yes they are maybe a bit everything's in the right place but i don't mind that everything's in the right place and you mostly don't notice it because you're interested in what's happening yeah i watched i watched i watched aliens and i didn't go oh load lift chekhov's load lifter that's going to come in later because i was swept up with the yeah, thing. I, yeah. Didn't, I didn't think oh my god that's definitely going to come back but also like you say it's not just oh what's she doing she's pointlessly load lifting mm-hmm. um she's doing it to illustrate character everything has to be ideally everything should be doing so many different things at once yeah so yeah the viewer just goes this is great i'm enjoying this and then when he gets oh yeah she can do a load lifter oh well i bet she can maybe stand a chance of fighting alien queen now and also seeing as <laughs> seeing as we're there that scene with the power loader fighting the alien queen is always <laughs> so impressive and i've seen the film on many mm. different sizes of screen including the cinema you mm. know it's an incredible they did that without any computer generated imagery you know, mm. they they had to build a full size power loader, which was basically a costume with a man in it that Sigourney mm. Weaver stood on. Um, mm. They had a massive alien queen full size, operated by about twelve people, twelve puppeteers, yeah. and also that the, they had like a lot of miniature work, a miniature version of the loader and the queen, and they cut between all those elements. Mm. And it's just brilliant, you know. Well, just, um, I, I mean, we'll, we'll sound like old men again, but this film was made in 1986, and it yeah. mostly holds up. It holds up, and it's all because there's no stupid CGI making us go, oh, that looks a bit fake in yeah, our brains. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I just watched Thor Love and Thunder at the cinema. Okay, um, I haven't seen it. Heard shit. Such a shit. Heard it's terrible, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I have to go and see them with my kids, and sometimes it's literally, a, hmm, I'm going to have a sleep now, and I actively go to sleep. Right. That's look, Thor, Love and Thunder was one of those. Oh, I was like, well, I'm in a comfy seat, I'm going to go to sleep, because it was that boring. That oh, boring. dear. I, I love Just, the Marvel movies, but um, it, it, there are a couple of naff ones, but this has got such bad reviews. It's like it's the worst one ever. Um, Kermode was ranting about how terrible it is. Well, it, it's it's like they're taking the piss now. It's like it's like you can see them acting. It's mm. almost like they shouldn't have bothered putting the um, they shouldn't have bothered putting the CGI in because it would have been more honest if they just left the green screen in the background because it's right. just so artificial. Right. And the and the performances are so surface and just it's like a pastiche uh, just everything about it. it's I mean it's worth seeing just to sort of go, Oh my god, see what everyone's talking about now. It's um, so For I the record, know. let less yeah. people feel that we're slagging off Tiger YTT. We've got a whole episode of the show from a couple of years ago where me and Kirsty and Stella went on for ages about how much we love what we do in the shadows. So we love Taika Waititi, but it does yeah. sound like... Taiti Waititi, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, nice. Uh, but yeah, it, it does sound like there's a, a great deal of complacency here. I've, I'm have i still a few films behind with Marvel. Um, I hear they I, don't... I'm not a fan of them, so other people might like them more than... Mm. But, uh, yeah. but this, was, this was definitely a... We must have the opposite, but this was definitely a... Definitely a I'll have a snooze. 
right. rather than oh, I'm quite enjoying this for what it right. is. Well, you know, oh, I, I can see what they're doing here. The performances are good. The reading of the lines good. The plot's good for what it is. Mm. You know, this was definitely a. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm, I'd rather you know I paid for recliners in my view cinema. I'm going to press the button. Okay, oh, <laughs> right. Occasionally, oh, I do. Occasionally, I'd rather do that than a movie. I'm wow. <laughs> for me it's quote Quentin Tarantino we'll sell you the seat but you're only going to use it in the recline position yeah uh, oh yeah. dear god um, okay well that's good now I know anyway the, uh, the not polar opposite aliens yeah. yes aliens. now that I know not to spend £10 or whatever on Thor Love and Thunder mm. let's talk more about aliens so yeah um, do you know what it's, go on I've just realised I've never seen aliens in the cinema Oh really? Well, it gets re-released pretty regularly. In... I know. I've just never seen it. I've seen it so many times. And I think I've probably never seen it on a very big screen. It holds up beautifully. I have to say. I think you've just missed it being um, yeah. screened as part of Grimfest in Manchester. Again. Yeah. No, I had. I was going to go try and get to it, but I couldn't. Stupid children. Then I get dragged to Thor: Love and Thunder. But yeah, um. Actually. Yeah, but it's it's just it is such an amazing film. Just mm. there's barely there's barely anything to fault it really. Like, and you know me, I can fault anything. There's, yeah, there's there's, there's, for... there's not there's not there's not a you know it knows exactly what it is. Its tone is perfect. It looks perfect. There's no lines in it that make me go. Ooh. There's no, no there's not there's not even you know there's. There's not even that one line that ruins an otherwise perfect film that you sometimes get. There is that weirdly homophobic subtext to one line of dialogue that the Marines say that I've never quite understood. You know, the bit where they're all around the breakfast table in the refectory, um, mm. and they're all kind of, you kind of, they're, they're kind of talking over each other, so you can't really tell what they're saying anyway a lot of it, but they say mm. something about, have you had some Arcturian poontang? And one of them says yes, and somebody else says, but the one you had was male. And he says, mm. doesn't matter when it's Arcturian, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, geez, well, that's a bit I, can, odd, I can live with that because they're not, um, you know, maybe colonial marines in, in however far in the future aren't that PC. Yeah. Um, um, and it it's just. That's exactly, that's exactly like a bunch of marines talking about. Accidentally having lady boys, yeah. In Vietnam, yeah. it's dodgy as fuck. But I imagine that's how that that's surely in the future. For, although, funnily enough, if you watch the listen to the commentary rather on the DVD by James Cameron, he says mm. he he realised afterwards that um, he'd not written the Marines properly, um, mm. or rather, they weren't very like. Marines, he said they're more like regular army near the end of their tour. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, Marines would be much more disciplined. They wouldn't be joking around like that and be, and kind of slacking I off always, on their duties. I, I think, I think he, I think just instinctively it works anyway. Mm. So maybe he shouldn't beat himself up. I've always read it that it was a bit a continuation of crew expendable. Yeah. Um, oh. So I mean, they didn't send. They didn't send the fucking brightest and the best because they didn't. They, you know, they well, they sent they sent 
they sent the shit marines. They sent they sent a platoon that had Hudson in it. Well, well, this is <laughs> this is pro- another flaw of the film in certain people's eyes that we should probably discuss. That Ian, they only send twelve people. There's only mm. twelve of them. They set to rescue a colony. They send one ship with twelve people on it, and when the ship gets to the planet, all twelve of the people get on the dropship and go down to the planet. Not one person remains behind to um, to watch over things. And it's like, the, the plotting is brilliantly... Aren't um, there, aren't there in, more than 12? No, well, there's more than 12. There's 12 Marines, plus Ripley, plus Yeah, Burke. yeah, I thought there were... I always get the impression there's more than that. Uh, no, because... He, he, he has the brilliant... The brilliant you know, again, this is sort of classic by the numbers thing of he, th- he thins out the herd at the yeah. midpoint. Well, he goes, oh dear, there's been a massive battle. Well, the, re- the people who's red shirts have all been killed. Yeah, well, that <laughs> is almost names, you know, a flaw I would point alive. out is that I think there's only about two of the Marines who you don't know who they are, and that's Wiz yeah. and Crow, I think. Yeah, and yeah. You, they never even have a line, but they get killed in the first flurry of action. Yeah. And they're whacked at exactly the same time that two of the Marines you do know, Dietrich and Frost, are also killed. So you're reeling yeah. from people that you, you, you knew. And they've also got rid of the cannon fodder, the, the red shirts, yeah. as you say, which is a, a brilliant move. And from that point, everybody is characterised. Um, yeah. But I've always also, found it... Yeah, and also because of the tone of it, you kind of don't know who's going to live and who's going to die. So mm. there really is a, you know, I think, I, you know, much as I love Jurassic Park, one of its main flaws for me was, what, why are you showing me dinosaurs threatening children? I know you're not going to have the guts to kill them. Right. So, so it takes so much tension out of the, you know, unless you're 10 and you haven't worked out that they're not going to kill children. Um, it, it takes it sucks so much tension out of that kitchen scene. It's almost just there for the sake of it. I know what because, you mean. Because you know they're not going to kill children. He only kills bad people in Jurassic Park. But Whereas in Jaws, in Jaws, he kills kids on rafts and dogs and yeah. breaks all sorts of rules. Yeah, and watching that last week, <laughs> uh, I remember that Kirsty said, you know, she tried to watch Jaws with her daughter, and they got as far as. Um, the kid being e- eaten yeah. off the beach, and a that's only about twenty minutes into the film, and b that's such a horrific scene. The way you see him from a distance, kind of in a fountain yeah. of his own blood, being dragged. Well, I, I always the remember water. that. I always remember this is a very rambling story uh, but, podcast, isn't it? But I, I just, I just love the story of Spielberg and I think his producer secretly watching a test screening. Right. Back. And watching a test screening with with an audience, and um, at the at the um, at the when the child gets killed and there's a big fountain of blood goes spurting up, like several people, somebody vomited in the aisle, right. and then ran out, and then other people ran with them. Right. And so he was just going, "Oh my god, we used too much blood." Oh, this is, and then everyone came back in. Right. <laughs> none oh. of them. None of them. They all went out to get a breath of fresh air. Then they all went back in. Right. Oh. Went, oh, maybe, maybe we've got a hit after all. Oh, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. But I think um, with Aliens, I think one of the geniuses with Jaws is it's a family movie mm-hmm. that really pushes it. 
Yeah, um, yeah. And with Aliens, you're definitely going, this is an 18. That's that's one reason I've never watched it at the cinema, because in 86, I was too young. And I remember, of all people, my great uncle, God rest his soul, but he was really old and I couldn't even imagine him going to the cinema. And he, and he, but he came to stay with us and he was like, oh, I just watched the most amusing film the other day. Right. Oh, a film called Aliens. Absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely loved it though. Right. Like, like my weird, my weird great uncle. Okay. So uh, he's, he's literally, you know, almost, well, I mean, you know, when was he born? Early 20th century, right. served in World War II. Right. Watching, watching what to me feels still feels like an ultimately modern movie. Yeah, yeah. And he's he just like didn't didn't know what to expect, but it's almost like he was a few days later. He was still shocked, shocked, and smiling about it. Oh, that was wonderful! Like, like a what a remarkable, strange film. <laughs> I just remember anyone who did manage to sneak in and watched it just came out so excited, but also saying. Also, I remember a lot of people said, oh, it's shit, it's so stupid, but then being excited about it. Because it was just, oh, it's so violent and it's just stupid and loads of people die and it's got aliens. Oh, you mean because and they, they, and they, they kind of liked it, but also thought it was shit. Right. Also thought it was silly. Right. There was, Which, seemed to be a reaction in the sixth form common room from some you do, people. You do get that attitude to it. Just going back to the child mm -hmm. thing, do you think aliens gets away with... The, the, I mean, some people do accuse it of what you... Just accused Jurassic Park of that, you know. Oh, with, with the, Newt, the you mean? Yeah, the tension is dissipated because you know Newt is always safe. Do you think that's true? Um, do you know what? I don't. I don't remember ever thinking that. I think the only person you think is probably going to last to the last reel is Ripley. But generally, you're not. I don't think. I don't think you're thinking that anyway because you're taken in by the movie. But I also think you know they kill everybody in. They kill Ripley's family and mm. and you know and her brother and I mean, if you think for a second, you probably think they're not going to kill Newt, are they? But you, because of its tone, I guess you don't ever quite know. I also think you, maybe, you, you, you maybe... could you could imagine you could imagine it would work. Well, you could imagine Newt being killed and then she gets in a load lifter. You well, could imagine that. Yeah, yeah, true. And two things. And it's not get well, away from her, you bitch. It's I'm gonna get you for that. Bitch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, when I first saw Aliens, I had already seen the beginning of Alien Three, so I knew that oh, Newt God. lived to the end of don't, Aliens, don't, but then passed, don't. but then died. So it, you know, so 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 that that didn't affect my enjoyment of Aliens at all. Um, the other thing, though, you know, it's notable that Newt is used a lot to. To set a foreboding tone, you know she mm. is the one who says it won't make any difference. She yeah, it, yeah. in the extended cut of the film, I think it's I think it's not in the theatrical bit. There's the, yeah, it must, it must be in the extended cut only. There's the conversation she has with Ripley about Ripley's daughter, and she says, "Do you have a little girl?" And Ripley says, "Yes." And Newt says, "Where is she?" And Ripley says, "She's gone." And then there's this pause, mm. and then Newt says. You mean dead, and yeah, yeah, you know, because that character kind of carries an air of doom. I mean, her entire family have been killed, including her older brother. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, and, yeah. No, no, I mean, I, th I think Newt's an archetype, but is in so many of a so many of a survival movies. Yes. If you were watching a fort full of soldiers and there were children also in that fort, 
those you kind of know those kids mm. aren't going to die yeah um, if you think about it for a second but a lot of your favorite they do enable people that you might be rooting for to die in heroic ways so yeah. be, so their deaths will be dramatically pleasing and you'll still be like no yeah so yeah, you know, yeah. having a child there means goodies can die and we don't mind uh, in yeah. the same way as we but there's nothing worse than watching a film where where people just get sort of offed in such arbitrary ways even though you know even though even though you know obviously warfare is arbitrary it's, it's that balance of you don't want to have plot armor as they say like mm. people you know, no bullets can hit them because i'm a i'm a hero i've got story to do but at the same time we don't just want you have to be very careful if you're just going to have someone you're rooting for to just suddenly get shot and die yeah, yeah. To, you, know, you you have to be aware of all these different things you're doing to the audience um and and that 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 kind of audience expectations is something we think about a lot when we're writing scripts and that kind of brings us into genre as well like how mm. much an audience how cine literate every single audience member is without they might not be able to articulate it they might not be aware of it in any way whatsoever but every just about every single human on this planet know you know and the, especially the audience for a hollywood movie knows mm. knows all the rules and they sit down with their popcorn and they know the rules and you've got to go that's why everybody can go oh this is so boring and predictable i could tell that was going to happen mm. and at the same time if you do something too weird you get people standing up and walking out throwing stuff at the screen yeah, yeah. Um, like when I saw in No Country for Old Men with uh, with an audience of actual people, right. of critics, people stormed out at the uh, at the surprise twist. Well, I haven't seen it, so don't. Oh God, it. haven't you? You really going to watch that then? I've That's another to. one I teach a lot. Um, I rectify that because it's a, it's it's by far the Coen Brothers' best movie for my money. I'm not a massive Coen Brothers fan. Right. I appreciate what they do. They don't usually speak to me too much. Um, okay. But I would say, no, couldn't you throw men? And it, it does something that really, you know, I probably shouldn't say too much, but just watch it. Mm. And it really plays, with, really plays, uses what the audience expects against them in right. such a genius way. But I've seen, you know, I've, saw, I've seen audiences literally leave because they felt cheated. Right. Okay. Because of, uh, but yeah, but but with Alien, it's very. It is. It runs on rails, like, you know, it's, you know, it does everything by the by the by the book in terms of structure. Yeah, that that reminds uh, me absolutely of absolutely perfect. Yeah. Um. Because you still don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> Leslie Halliwell's capsule review in Halliwell's Film Guide. I remember off by heart. It is. Frightening but mechanical sequel with none of the half-assed poetry of the original. Yeah, and I, I can sort of get what he's going at. at. Um, yeah, like you say, it does run on rails, but but yeah, but what rails? What rails? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like oh, it was a bit of a predictable roller coaster. It was thoroughly <laughs> enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I when could, you I get, tell, I could tell it was going to uh, do exactly what it did. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you know. Yeah, the fact is, when you're watching it, you can't tell exactly what it's going to do. Yeah. 
because um, you're so swept up in it yeah yeah and you don't think about that and um that's what's wonderful about it and every time i watch the movie that i discover something new that i love about it i mean it was only a few viewings ago i've watched this every couple of years quite often on my birthday as i said to lance henriksen when we interviewed him a couple of years ago um (laughs) that's one of the few times i can clang but um uh you know i love that this got this is in alien as well and it was obviously uh they spotted that they needed to replicate this element of alien but it's that the environments feel so real i mean there's especially in the extended cult it that there's more time spent on this the way that they've created that those complete environments like on the Solarco, you know there can be the fairly mundane scenes where people are just standing around loading things or even before they've woken up when the ship's just empty and you're just looking at the swinging chains the cameras panning around the the loading bay or the lo- uh, the drop ship on the launch pad and all that but it just mm-hmm. feels like such a real and huge environment. Um, and therefore, those scenes are wonderful, even though nothing's happening, you know. And even though... Oh, yeah, just... And I, I think the, the set design is just amazing. And actually, I think a lot of the silico is probably just matte paintings, you know. I think that the set is probably not nearly as big as it looks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so, so, so much of this is... Yeah, well, this, this is one of the last pre-CGI films. And yeah. uh, you know, and and after that, you you know, Cameron himself moves us into T, you know, with Terminator Two, which again is I'd, I'd say Terminator Two and Aliens are two of the they're they're kind of equally tied as the most exciting films. Uh, uh, I love Terminator Two as well. I don't think it's ex- is as exciting as the Terminator actually, although. T2 is has got a hugeness to it that the original doesn't have and yeah you know all, and, all three all three of those films I could literally watch and I have mm-hmm. done watch over and over again and they all have something they all have something you um, know really compelling like, about them yeah I think um, over time I've come to think actually aliens is the most perfect of the three of them um I remember watching Terminator 2 at the cinema exactly the right age i'd literally watched terminator the day before i'd never seen it with my teenage mates right you know, like 18 19 in yeah god yeah i was 19 and i'd never quite got around to watching terminator and we watched you know and we watched it the day before i went to see the sequel right. oh, <laughs> and it was like watching like the best football the best um the best wrestling match or something I'd ever seen. Literally a massive crowd of us with loads of other people all just absolutely cheering and loving every second. People completely primed for that movie. (laughs) It was a, it was a brilliant cinema, cinema going experience that was, but, um, but yeah, but, 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 but alien aliens, I would say is even better. I would say, I would. I, I love all those three movies, and it's not just because Aliens is my favorite movie, but but yeah, I I think maybe the excitement is sustained best in Aliens, Terminator, and especially Terminator Two. Both have longers in them, 
not very mm. long ones, not very serious ones, but they do slow down and pause for breath. Aliens yeah. doesn't really, although at the same time, it's not paced to be relentlessly action-packed like a lot of movies are now, where you just mm. get tired out and exhausted. It does have amazing quiet scenes in between the action. I mean, I think it's our friend Ross who said that Aliens has one of the best middles of any film. And the middle mm. is just they're sealed into the medical centre in the colony base and they're hoping the aliens won't come and find them. That's it. But it does have... Every scene is amazing, including that brilliant scene, which uh, I was thinking of as maybe supporting my idea that it's a horror film more than an action film, because I'm not sure you'd call it an action scene. But the scene in the med lab... The face huggers, with uh, the facehuggers. With the facehuggers. It's yeah, yeah. just horrendous. And, and I think that's I think that's yeah that's whenever I watch that with other people, that's the bit and it maybe it's maybe the that is definitely a horror mm. sequence and I think it's even more effective because it's a change of pace yeah and suddenly people who are like oh this is a fun popcorn movie I'm a bit tense but I'm not scared are suddenly really uncomfortable yeah yeah that's it's, true because it's got it's got the sort of Freudian Geiger you know. You're being attacked by a vagina with legs, sort of. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's also... It's going to stick a tube down your throat. What? <laughs> and, you know, the, the relatable mythic thing of the child hiding under the bed. Although, although that's yeah. a reversal, of course. The monster's not under the bed. She hides under the bed in case the yeah. monster comes, which is like yeah. a brilliant way of saying it's even worse than you feared. You will yeah, be hiding yeah. under the bed. Um, and, yeah. and, and then they wake up and find that the monster is in the room with them, which is. But just... it's also a brilliant. Again, another reason this is so good. It's not just, oh, these things have got in. Yeah. And that's quite a fun sequence. It's it ramps up the drama. It's oh, we've got a traitor amongst us. You yeah. Know? It's yeah. so so the reason they're there is because Burke. You can't, you know, you yeah. can't trust, you know, and yeah. that's the whole one of the main themes of the whole alien franchise is yeah. you know corporate greed is the ultimate sin yeah yeah um and so having set up a movie which seems to be about the siege mentality we've got to keep them out then a new danger comes from within which yeah, makes yeah. it a brilliant kind of middle turning yeah. point um oh i love that yeah. whole bit so much even though um there is a slight plot hole there that I, I mm-hmm. again it's this the, this is the kind of movie that you can watch twenty times, and a yeah. you're you're always seeing new great things that you've never noticed. Now and again you do spot a flaw, which hadn't occurred before, and I I think it's when they're talking to, um, uh, it's when they're talking to Bishop when he's on the radio tower, mm. you know, and he says something like, "I'm going to be there in two minutes." And um, and that scene was clearly meant to happen a lot later mm. because it takes him a lot longer to get there. But they've put it in that scene so that you can see them talking and Burke's in the foreground, I think, you know, because it mm. makes him look really sinister and it kind of sets up that he's watching them and mm. that he's got his own agenda. Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, I, I just... 
it does say so much that you can just watch this film again and again and uh, I, the little I just, cracks do appear but they're so tiny they're plenty forgivable yeah I mean well, um, you, you don't know I, I just I just there's, there's not a I mean we haven't really discussed the sort of extended version versus the theatrical release no we haven't it's almost like the theatrical release has been washed away mm. but there are some people who really do say the theatrical release is better for and understandable reasons yeah what do you think i i can't i'd miss too much of the stuff from the extended release mm. i think i could live without the drone you know the automatic guns yeah um, but i think cutting out ripley having a daughter yeah despite what i was saying before that's that's. I mean, I could see why David Cameron, uh, why David Cameron, James <laughs> Cameron was uh, why James Cameron was pissed off. They went. So we're going to take out the daughter. Won't affect too much, will it? The entire film's about motherhood. And yeah. Who's what's Newt then when she meets Newt? What's Newt when she meets Newt? Just the kid. You bastards. Yeah. You know yeah. it. It it lops it 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 makes the. I mean. You know, it makes it makes his whole reason for setting the whole thing up the theme of the movie is motherhood, and you take out the mother. Yeah, all and you, of so it's not too so it's not two mothers against another mother. It was it, it it wasn't quite studio mandated. The studio said you've got to lose half an hour, but they left mm. it up to Cameron and Heard um, to choose which bits to cut, and they yeah. cho- chose to get rid of the whole colony sequence because that was yeah. just unnecessary setup um yeah it's a great scene but uh, i can see why they got rid of it um uh, and then i think they reluctantly decided that you know what maybe it is slightly clunky that we've set up that ripley's lost a daughter so then she finds a new one maybe yeah. it's better if she just develops a maternal instinct because she meets this child and it's still a happy ending um and I think Cameron convinced himself of that, and that's why they did it. Mm. Then over the years, he went back to thinking, no, actually, you know what? We always wanted it to be about she'd lost a daughter, so she gains a daughter. So let's put that I, back. And that's why... And again, again, I, I think the world-building of it is brilliant. I mean, especially mm. at the time, it's you know, because it's 1986, so cryogenic stuff isn't, you know, hasn't been in a million things then. The idea of her being asleep and missing her daughter's life yeah. isn't just, it's not just, I've got back to earth. Oh no, she's been killed in a car crash. It's not, it's, it comes out of the world as well. Yeah. It comes out of the sci-fi world. It's uh it's, it's a bit of a, it's a head fuck yeah. that, that appeals to the geeky sci-fi in me and the, oh, she's been in space so long. She's missed her daughter growing up. Uh, yeah. And it's also and the, the, the picture of her daughter as an old woman is, is brilliant. Which is Sigourney Weaver's actual mother. Oh, wow. In the picture, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and also it, it, it makes the start of the film stronger because it starts on that emotional note, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, my sister Maureen, who I've often mentioned on this podcast, I tried to mm. get her to watch Aliens with me once. She wasn't too into it, but she was very moved by mm. that. Start that the fact that that was at the start of the film. The first half an hour of the film is really about Ripley just mm. sitting there thinking, "Shit, I don't have 
a family anymore and, and Maureen didn't have children so it's not like you have to be a parent to feel no, that no. and again um, it just reminds me again of why why Alien 3 makes me so angry so disrespectful <laughs> it's just so disrespectful mm-hmm. well it's, mm-hmm. it's 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 you're carrying on someone you know obviously obviously it's Ridley's then it's Cameron's and they're, they're different, but, res- but Aliens is respectful. Yeah, I, mean, I guess some people would disagree. But the third one is literally like, we don't give a two shits about what's gone before. We're just us making a film. We're just making a film. We do not give a shit Yeah, what's well, gone before. And do you know what? I'm just going to kill these people you've been rooting for in the beginning of the film. Well, and, you, you know, and it makes me. It's just, it's just awful. In the making of documentary of Alien Three, the producer David Guyler, who did produce Aliens and Alien, you know, he was mm. with it all the time. And they obviously say to him, "Why did you decide to kill Hicks and Newt?" And and he thinks about it, and he just says, "Well, we just thought it was a stronger image to just have Sigourney coming back rather than Sigourney and some other people." Um, and I could. It's like that's such a producer's decision. I can see that. I know what well, you say. You say it's a producer's decision, but it's also have you never sat with a bunch of people watching these movies? Yeah. And how much they'd be like, yay! Yeah. Here's yeah. Hicks. Here's Sigourney. Here's Newt. Yay! And then you could kill Newt. Yeah. Yeah. You imagine if you could kill Newt. After, but yeah, not in a. Yeah, we couldn't be bothered to get the actor. Or do anything, and she drowned in her hab pod after escaping. I mean, I've 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 heard people defend it, saying it's brilliant because it com- it's complete it's com- it's complete disrespect for the audience. Goes, this is a horror film again. So that's the. Mm. We're straight, we're straying into talking about Alien Three now. So we probably this is probably what we said in our pod on Alien Three. Yeah, but that alien, you know. Alien, you know, it's almost like the people that were a bit pissed off that they turned it into a dumb eighties action movie. Yeah, were kind of like, oh, it's a creepy, horrible movie now, and I've killed the cute kid and the yeah. brave marine because it's a horror movie, and good people die in horror movies. Um, but anyway, we're straying into Alien Three. Yes, we'll they, direct but Alien, out. But I, I still, I still think Aliens builds so well on the horror movie Alien that it was just I can't it's almost like aren't producers supposed to make things more populist not less yeah, yeah. like surely the thing to do next we go we're gonna you thought aliens was big it's gonna be aliens uh you know yeah. it's gonna be earth war it's going to be huge you won't be able to believe how great this film's gonna be mm. we fucking aliens everywhere that's what the next film should be. <laughs> it just seems obvious to me. Well, you know, you have a house, you have a bunch of people surrounded by zombies in one house, then you have the whole planet covered in zombies. And yeah, then, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, day of day day of the aliens would have been. Uh, well, yeah, I, I maybe uh, one day. I would have wanted to say something like that. I've got my doubts as well. I'll direct our listener to go back to listen to our Alien Three. Uh, so mm. where we get into depth on this, um, my I'll, I'll sum up my thoughts uh, as I did in in that episode by just saying I think Alien Three is pretty good film on its own terms. 
as, as far as a sequel to this one while I just pretend it doesn't exist this is the last alien film uh, yeah because it's the it's a perfect ending and I and I get your feeling that they could have gone on and told a bigger story but mm-hmm. but I think that the ending of this film is so satisfying that um, I, I'll just pretend that there were nothing else um, I'm kind of intrigued by the uh, TV series that's coming out well, I'm intrigued by it because Noah Hawley's a very good writer, but yeah. it's not set in the far future. And I know. No one has, me as well. No one has ever done a good alien thing set in near present day. Well, there's only been one, <laughs> and that was one of the worst films ever made. Um, well... Um, AVP. I feel like there's more than one. Um, yeah, the two AVP films, and... Uh, maybe that's it. I'm sure there's. I feel like there's another one, but maybe it's a comic or something. But anyway, yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. Uh, the point is, I think the, the the kind of mysterious far futureness of it, it is essential. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I I don't even like that in the Prometheus films they started dating the movies so that you know exactly when. I don't. I can't remember the year that Prometheus is set, but it's meant to be ten years before Alien, I think. So you can extra, like, extrapolate like all the dates. Thirty or something. <laughs> yeah, it's quite near. It's typically, typically Ridley Scott. But oh, that, when should we set this? When should we set Blade Runner? Tomorrow. Far <laughs> enough in the future to me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that won't have any consequences whatsoever. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I like the idea. I always thought there were hundreds and hundreds of years hence that maybe civilizations have fallen and risen again, and and therefore yeah. any minor anachronisms like technology not looking futuristic enough didn't really matter. Um, no, I just, I yeah, I guess in my head, I I agree. I like the fact that they didn't go. This is definitely, you know, you don't need to know. But I always thought they're probably about twenty fifth century. Yeah. Yeah, you know, at least. we've still got the same structures we've got now. Capitalism's won big time. We've just about still got countries, um, and it's a sort of you know. But I guess that's the sort of cyberpunk future, isn't it? Is cyberpunk is traditionally, you know, all the bad shit from our own time is in the ascendancy, and not and there's not very much of the good stuff left. Yeah, that's all, that's all William Gibson kind of. You know, his stuff was always in the 22nd century, I think. Right. Late 21st. That so makes sense. In my, in my head, it was always, yeah, it was always a few hundred years ahead when, but I always liked the lack of, I mean, one of my, it's weird. I love aliens and so many good bits, but one of my favorite bits in it is, is near the beginning and it's just, and it's her debriefing. Yeah. Just the world building of that and the, and the dialogue and the performance and that that woman smoking, yeah, yeah. Um, and just you know when she goes and you know it just it just sort of you know oh, I can't remember the exact words, but it's just like it's just like and these are your words had acid for blood, yeah, uh, you know. And then when she starts going on about and and yet unlike any life form recorded on any four hundred worlds, and it kind of just in in a natural way. It's it's an exposition dump of of the of the, of the and it's and it's but what I like is that 
and this is another reason to hate Ridley Scott's prequels. It goes, it goes, you know, we have Marines going, oh, is this going to be another bug hunt? So it mm. makes you go, there are aliens out there, mm. but they tend to be, they're few and far between and they tend to be primitive. Yeah. If, if at all. Mm. And then I guess we've got the, we've got the space jockeys, but they, they are this mysterious ancient race. Mm that we don't know anything about. And then what does he do? He goes and has them wandering around. Yeah. And, then, and then even worse, he makes them go and go and plop, the, plop themselves into the river on earth or some shit. I don't know. Uh, because he, because he thinks it's 1975 and he's just read chariots of the gods. Um, <laughs> just oh, awful. awful. Uh, but, um, so, but, well... but that, that was, that was another thing that I loved about alien and, and aliens was the, the world building of mm. this is a, this is a kind of real future where mostly outer space is what we know outer space is like it's rocks yeah. and poisonous planets and and they just extrapolate and go oh there, there is a bit of life but it's not fucking star trek there's not yeah. a sentient yeah. being in every solar system which which just looks i mean star trek looks more and more just like it might as well be Lord of the Rings, the more we find out about the universe, mm. more Star Trek seems more and more, fan I mean, God love it, but more and more fantastical and Aliens is a much more, do you know what? Let's go and mine yeah. out into the universe because if we meet Aliens, we'll deal with that when we find them because we're not going to, are we? We're not going to. We'll be lucky to find a bacteria on a planet. So let's mm. just assume we're by ourselves uh, oh. in the sentient space uh, business. And I've always liked that about aliens. Yeah, and it's a wonderful universe because it, it because it lacks that Star Trek style sense of yeah. wonder and diversity and hope. Um, it's yeah. just, uh, yeah. but it's credible as well. It's very um, post. What is very post Watergate? You know, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a hope of the sixties. Then Watergate. Do you know the movie Outland? With um, Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah. Well, a long time ago. I've not seen it for decades. People are now saying, "Is it probably set in the same universe as the Alien films?" Because it had the same. It was made around the same time in probably the same studios with the same set designers and the same music and it just oh, really? has that and it has that same kind of the universe is crap it's all run by money it's all the corporations i think the villain in it might even be just called the company again yeah um, yeah no I, i've not seen it enough to be able to comment but i mean obviously what alien came out of was was dark star wasn't it yes they kind of they kind of did dark star and then went let's have another go around of that and change the tone yeah because that was fun but actually what we need is the engine of a monster movie yeah and then instead of a kind of hippies in space which was nice tonally but you don't need to necessarily watch it all because <laughs> i couldn't tell you what happens in dark star other yeah. than there's a ball alien no, I haven't seen all of it, and John Carpenter is my favourite director. But um, yeah, but God bless Dan O'Bannon because he was able. He did one thing that was quite good, and was able to spin it into something really damn good. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's twice as much as most artists achieve. 
So, well, yeah. you know, God bless him. We've only got a few minutes left, Ian, so is there mm-hmm. anything else you'd like to say about Aliens to finish up? Um, Well, I don't know, really, other than it's still one of my favourite films. And you sometimes think your tastes are going to change as you go through time, but it's just still up there and always is up there. And now I'm 50, I assume it's probably going to be always up there. Ah, oh, good. Oh, um, I need to ask you, you mentioned on Twitter that you're going to try and revisit the Star Trek films, which you're not a huge fan of. I just wondered if you'd started that yet. I haven't started that yet because I'm still... There's so many things to watch and I'm still... I'm, I'm still... I'm watching New Trek rather than having time to go back to the old Trek. Well, when you watch Star Trek 2 and 3... 3, by the way, is my favourite, I think... Those were made before Aliens, and they both have music by James Horner, and you can yeah. definitely sit, you can hear him limbering up for I don't, Aliens. I don't, I don't remember ever saying I really hated them. I just don't think I've massively watched them. My appreciation of Star Trek is definitely something that's different from when I was younger. Right. I think I like it a lot more as I've got older. Oh, that's cool. Maybe... Uh, Maybe Star Trek is a bit embarrassing when you're a cool teenager. It certainly um, is. Having not been a cool teenager, I can still be pretty sure of that. Like nobody dies. It's like about emotions and shit and hope. Ugh. And uh, and now I'm a bit like, God, the future. My children are growing into it, and it's going to be more like aliens. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, no! <laughs> oh dear. Mm, yeah. So. But um, um yeah. But um, but yeah, but yeah, the the opposite sides of uh, sci-fi futures. Yeah, and you know what? I, I I like the fact that Star Trek shows that it's possible to still dream in a in a positive way, even though the more modern tracks are much grittier and darker. You know, it still has a kernel of that belief in a better future. For, yeah, for all, and that is something that I find. They, they, they still rub up against the fact, um, as as aliens as anti-capitalist message does. It made mm. millions at the box office. This anti-capitalist message, brilliant. Uh, Star Trek, the Star Trek timeline, still very much. You know, it's all the all the latest stuff. You can, you know, with Picard when they're in twenty twenty four, and there. Yeah, you can tell this system is about to collapse. Yes. Um, and, uh, and then when they had Enterprise, I remember watching that and going, oh, this is exciting. It's gonna, are we going to find out when they what happens when they give up money? No, he's going to go to the year 3000 and we're going to miss that bit out. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, they've always been so, a bit... So it has, so it, has some, it has some very, very, very anti-American ideas. Um, yeah. And, uh, and it's... Uh, but anyway, we are talking about Star Trek now. The, well, um, oh, I was going to make one final point about aliens and and it, it's gone out of my head do you need to have a word with someone um oh you've gone quiet Ian. sorry i'm i muted you're gonna have to edit this bit anyway aren't you yep. you're right elliot we're just literally nearly finished um, are you just giving me that back or you want it stapled just wait till we're finished here and then i'll staple it no um, i remember you said one i don't know how many years but um you said like I don't know how many years um, after, uh, you know, the last of the Rise of Skywalker. After Rise of Skywalker, how many years? What? Um, 
So 30 years after that. 30 years after The Rise of Skywalker? Is that... Well, they've never made that film. I know. So but you I, want to you want to write a story? Rise of Skywalker, it is Return of Mace Window, then it is Rise of Moth Gideon, then right. it's Return of the Jedi Death. <laughs> I love all those titles, Elliot. I've got to yeah. say. Mace Windu is going to be very old, 30 years after uh, after Rise of Skywalker. Actually, he doesn't grow. from tw- He doesn't ah. grow from 28. He's been obsessed well, with Mace Windu. And then, and then we have Revenge of Windu. Moss Gideon. <laughs> yes. That's that 30 years. Right. right. Well, Moff Gideon is cool, so I'd like to see him. And I'm sure maybe maybe, maybe, we, maybe we should maybe we should keep this on the podcast because it's maybe. quite. Cute. This is my this is my child writing the next install the next three Star Wars films, aren't you? Yeah. Race adventures continue. Mace Window appears. Wow. And well, he's still twenty eight. And he's still young. Well, yeah, you, still you know. Well, and, he only, and he was only a Jedi chainer when he was 16. Right, I see. Anyway, Elliot, let us wrap up our podcast. Yes. We, we I can't wait much. to show you aliens. He's only six. You're going to love it. But in about four years, you'll be about the right age to watch aliens. So that's another thing. <laughs> Having children, you mustn't wait too long to show them the old films because they... You think they're a classic, but if they're 15 when they're watching them, it's yeah. shit. Yeah. And yeah. show them when they're 10, then Aliens is the most perfect film ever made. That's very wise advice. Yeah, that's I what I've done with the other two. Everybody's listening. So between 10, between 10 and 11, 12 is the best time to show them Aliens and Alien. Right, okay. So shit their pants. So edited. <laughs> anyway... So, so my final point on uh, on aliens, then, seeing as you mentioned an anti-capitalist movie made by a massive corporation, and it obviously yeah. made a huge amount of money at the box office. Do you know what movie knocked aliens off the top top spot in the box office of nineteen eighty six? And it was an anti-capitalist movie. Was it? Um, was it Wall Street then, or something? Or uh, no, I'm not really thinking along just, those lines. It's just a really unlikely movie that I, I, I imagine knocking a feel-good, uh, crowd-pleasing film like Aliens off the top spot. Any any guess? Oh, 86. That's the thing, that period, I wasn't really going to the cinema much. Mm. Um. 86, what was going on in 86? God, was it like Pretty in Pink or something? Or No, it wasn't depressing like that. It, it's a good film, but it's just a weird choice. Pretty in Pink's it a was... good film, damn Ma- you. Uh, <laughs> I have no knowledge, honestly. It's a brilliant film. Uh, it was David Cronenberg's The Fly. Oh. Bye-bye, Elliot. And that I did see at the cinema, actually. Don't forget oh, to finish Mace Windu. Yeah. You saw well you, you said you were too young to see aliens, but you were old enough to see the fly. They were Was like, it fifteen? I think maybe I, I think, just I think they were eight, they were both eighteens. Yeah. I think I, maybe I just went to see that with my dad. Right. Wow. 
it's not like my parents were like you're not allowed to go and see it. it's just you couldn't go by yourself right okay watch 18s because you'd get added as the oh. americans would say i can't imagine anyway, seeing that film at the cinema um, it was and i'm sure we'll, we'll talk about film. that on another episode because yeah it's another film that i always return to but oh, this has been a wonderful chat Ian. Let's... it is and since should we say goodbye elliot Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye. And say bye bye to the listener. I don't know. So, Elliot, this is a horror podcast. Could you pretend to be a possessed child? (laughs) Scariest child ever. I am quite scared just looking at those (laughs) chilling eyes. (laughs) That works. That's wonderful. You, you know your horror, Elliot. You. How would a demon talk? I am demon son. <laughs> oh, my dear God. <laughs> <laughs> there goes my bone marrow. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's, well. that's definitely staying in the podcast, Ian. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, just as evidence for social services. I am demon's son. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's now created a character that you could put into a script. Demon son. That should be a movie. Demon son. <laughs> there we go. Demon son. <laughs> Perfectly. That sounded appropriately eighties as well. There should be a new Marvel movie. There should be a new Marvel movie. I think you're just going to have to fade this one out there. (laughs) I think I'll I'll take that cue. Thanks, Ian. Bye-bye, everybody. What a wonderful time. You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by... Ian Winterton, T.D. Velasquez, and Demon Son. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at andnowpod or at leecushingpod. Follow us on Twitter at andnowpodcast or at leecushingpodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash and now podcast and now the podcast stops